That was a great song to uh, set up our talk this morning or this afternoon now. Oh, the reckless love of God. Have you ever considered um, in eternity past, God, um, the Godhead had this community, a fellowship of love, a love feast. And uh, there was peace, there was joy, there was uh, authenticity, just a sweet fellowship between the Godhead. And uh, one of the uh, offshoots of love is creation. And so they began creating and they created uh, uh, other planets and uh, uh, other beings. And then when it came time to create man, uh, they were excited because we're made in their image. And uh, we, they enjoyed, they invited every created a being into this fellowship, into this community, this sweet fellowship. And as they did so, uh, man was created. And when uh, Adam was created at the hands of God, then uh, all of a sudden, Adam recognized that there was no one for him. And I believe that God set it up so that when he gave him this precious gift, when he brought this woman to him, he could recognize what God indeed had done. And so Eve is now brought to Adam and they now are part of this sweet and wonderful fellowship of peace, of joy, of reckless love and how wonderful it was for all of them to be a part of this. Now, uh, again, we read in the beginning in, in Genesis chapter two, they were naked and unashamed. They enjoyed this sweet fellowship. And as we go through this presentation, may we see the next uh, uh, slide here as we talk about this fellowship. I want to ask, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, Beverly, that, that all of the animals came before Adam and he named them. Yes. But, you know, you mean his wife wasn't a cow? No, she was not. He wasn't a pig? No. Why do we sometimes call our wives cows and pigs then? It's <laughs> a good question. You know, when we do that, I wonder if we're saying something about ourselves. Yes. Good because point. she wasn't a cow or a pig. She, she was, was not. a woman. She was a woman. Yes, yes. The foundation of this relationship that the Godhead enjoyed with the other unfallen planets and with humanity was covenant love. A covenant love. I'm never going to leave you. We're going to be in this fellowship, in this community together. This sweet fellowship together. Uh, and in, at the end of Genesis chapter two, it says that they were naked and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. Next, uh, on our next slide, we're going to see that they, they really had this fellowship, this relationship. By the way, you do understand that relationship was God's idea. 
We, we don't know how to do relationship. God, it was God's idea. And so we really have to turn to even in eternity past to understand the full ramifications of fellowship. And in the next slide, we know that what happened was they were covered with the glory of God and they were busy being with God. Did you hear me? They were busy being with God. They were not doing with God. They were being with God. They were enjoying the fellowship. They were enjoying the presence of God along in, in this community of other unfallen planets, of uh, uh, creation. They were all together, do, not doing, but being with God. So if we move on to the next slide, something big happened. Something unfortunate, something tragic Sin is what happened. And sin took away then from us this beautiful, beautiful covenant relationality with God. And, and so things were broken now. Things were broken. There was now negative uh, mental and emotional and relational and spiritual consequences. What happened? What happened? As we go on to the next slide, we're going to unpack a little bit more about what happened. So when before sin, there was this perfect relationality with God, there was no fear. There was no need to fear. Fear was something that only happened after sin, not before. But when we don't experience perfect love, what comes in instead is fear, anxiety. Am I enough? You know, am I enough? Is what I do going to please yes. you? We have those doubts yes. that happen, that creep in about our being enough. And, and then, you know, you recall that, that Adam started blaming Eve, the woman you gave me, blamed God, the woman. And Eve, of course, blamed the serpent and blamed God indirectly as well. And so we get into this cycle of blaming a victim, victimizing one another. And as we're going through this, I'm wondering if you might be willing to really look at yourself and say, do I do that too? You know, are there things that happen to me that, that I don't take responsibility for when I should, but rather it's not my fault. You did it. I wouldn't do this if you hadn't have done that. So this victim-victimization cycle, I would suggest, is one that we've been living in ever since then. And it's unfortunate. It's something God is growing us out of. But also there was trauma. You know, remember, Cain killed Abel. And that was traumatic. That was traumatic. And, and certainly it was traumatic for Abel, but it was traumatic for Cain himself, by the way. But certainly the loss that Adam and Eve felt with one of their children dying as well. Must have been tragic. And so, and so we've been living with trauma ever since as well. And right now, I mean, if you just think and let ourselves feel for a moment, you know, we're living with tremendous trauma. People being killed, you know, people shooting other people. Almost every day now, we have that kind of thing happening. And, and, and racial trauma, you know, all kinds of things like that that are happening here on this earth. People putting other people down, people killing other people. And, and sometimes we just kill people off in our hearts, but that's still killing somebody off. One of the greatest fears we have is rejection. You know, we, we're fear, fearful of rejection or abandonment. Is, is she going to leave me? Is he going to leave me? And, and when we've experienced rejection and abandonment as trauma, 
from, from the ages of, of little ones, we bring that trauma even into our present lives and live that trauma out. So going on, going on now. We also experience adverse childhood experiences. You know, these are things like physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, being raised, you know, by uh, uh, domestic violence in the family, you know, having a parent who's mentally ill, you know, divorce in the family. All of those things are traumatic events. And we know from research, the adverse childhood experiences research, that, that when children experience those kinds of, that kind of adversity, what happens is it predicts chronic illness later in their lives that just doesn't go away. It predicts anxiety. It predicts depression that just doesn't go away. It predicts self-destructive behavior. I'm going to drink. I'm going to use drugs. I'm going to overeat. I'm going to do those things to destroy myself. That's the inheritance that abuse brings. And then, of course, we have attachment. You know, Adam and Eve, before sin, were perfectly attached to God. They had this perfect covenant attachment with God. But when parents love their children well, when they're there for them, when they are a part of their lives, when they pour into their children the best love they have to give, even though there are no perfect parents, children tend to be attached securely then to mom and dad. And, and, and often what that does then is it leads to being able to truly trust and rest in God's love as well. But when that does not happen well, we have insecure attachment, disorganized or anxious attachment, even disorganized attachment when there's actual abuse going on from parents to children. And and so we want to be alert and aware that these are the kinds of things that create challenges in the lives of children. And in the lives of children who grow up and get married. Um, Something that's really very important, and uh, I'm really glad to see so many young people here today. Uh, I want you to understand that uh, if you are in relationship, uh, you may think you are choosing this person because he's cute or she's cute or they just really get you, you're jiving with them or whatever you want to say about that. But I want to tell you that there are, there's a lot of unconscious reasons why we choose who we are in relationship with. Uh, the brain, uh, what we know from neuroscience, the brain does not know a past or a present. Uh, I'm sorry, or a future. It only knows the present. And when, it, when a pattern is spotted, the brain will always respond the way it typically does. What that means is that although I married someone who didn't look like my daddy, my daddy was dark-skinned, chunky, and, and black, and I married this skinny white man, I married someone who really triggered a lot of my daddy issues. I didn't know that but at, at the time, but I thought God had put us together. But the reality is my brain recognized this pattern and I was drawn to him and he was drawn to me because he recognized a pattern in me. Not a problem if we recognize it, even if it's after the fact. 
because those patterns will get us into difficulty later in, in, in relationships. You get married and all of a sudden, wow, we are fighting and I don't even know why I married this person. How did I get in relationship with him? If we would just pause to understand our brokenness. Uh, my brokenness, understanding my brokenness, although David was not my, my daddy, I sure treated him uh, in my heart like my daddy, who I was not very fond of because he wasn't very fond of me. Let's go on. <laughs> Isn't that a good thing to do? Just kind of keep it stepping? You know? <laughs> but, but, but you know, one of the things I think that's really important is, is this, as Beverly's pointing out. You know, healthy marriages begin before marriage. Begins with good premarital counseling. It begins with looking honestly at ourselves, and, and a good premarital counseling counselor is going to help us examine who am I? Who am I? Okay, what are my growth areas? What am, where are my areas of brokenness? What's my story? And also, who is the other? Who's she? Okay, who is Beverly? What's her story? And really begin unpacking those things and, and starting a couple on a journey of healing so that they're as strong as they can be when they become married. And I want to say it's a journey. It's not a destination. It, you know, we oftentimes say, I've had people say to me, uh, I, I, I want to get over there. I want to be finished with this. It's a journey. I believe it's a, a sanctification journey. God is growing us, helping us to see, to really recover everything that sin has taken away from us. And so it is a journey. And so as we begin to be, we need to be as transparent as possible, even in our brokenness. I really don't care what you think about me and my brokenness. Why? Because I know who I am in Jesus. I am washed, I'm sanctified, I'm justified in Jesus. And what you think about me doesn't matter. You know how much time and energy it takes to run around wondering, what do you think of me? And I wonder if you'll like me or what do you, how do you like my hair, my dress, whatever. I don't want to hurt you. That is so, that takes so much energy. But when I recognize who I am in Jesus, I can be transparent in who I am. I can stand before my spouse and a friend and say, this is who I am and be transparent and vulnerable. There's so much freedom in that. But you know, honey, when, when I was a kid, the message that I got was not those messages about being valued and precious and all of that. You know, the, the, the message I got, and I was raised, I was raised with um, nine, nine sisters and five brothers, this large Catholic family, there are 15 of us. The message I got is I had to be perfect. And if I wasn't perfect, if I didn't do everything just right to make the family look good, I don't, any of you ever get the message, your, your purpose in life is to make this family look good. Well, I had to. And if I wasn't perfect, if I made a mistake, if I made the family look bad, I was shamed. I was put down, not being good enough. Okay? Now, I wasn't called a lot of names like some people are, dumb, stupid, lazy, ignorant. You know, you've got a B instead of an A. What's wrong with you? You know, I wasn't shamed quite that badly. But can you imagine, here's the standard, perfection. Anything less than that is, is wrong. You know, there's something wrong with me. And so I lived with the illusion that I was going to be perfect, that I had to be perfect when I obviously was not. Yeah, 
What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, you brought on that perfection in the marriage and it created it created some some drama for us mm-hmm. uh just like my brokenness created drama for us as well mm-hmm. and so it again working it out i believe that marriage is a fertile ground for us to work out our differences to work out our, our struggles and have no fear even if you're not married you can have great great close relationships with people uh not quite like a marriage thing but a really close intimate relationship in terms of being vulnerable and being free to be who you are and they will help you to grow as well uh our next slide i i think this is really really important uh again learning to forgive and let go of bitterness and resentment. Uh a lot of us think we really uh, can forgive people very easily. Um you know, in terms of I I uh, that's all right, you hurt me, that's all right. And then if someone does it again, then all the feelings come roaring back again. Well, that means you really haven't forgiven uh because if those feelings come back, there's still some work you need to do. And the truth is, we don't really do a good job of of forgiveness because we have a pseudo sense of forgiveness and i would encourage you to really look at the quality of your forgiveness and if there is still some resentment if th- there's still some disease in the relationship then you can just know that forgiveness is not taking place uh on to the next slide please uh learn to be good listeners that is so very critical to be able to listen to your spouse to be able to listen not only with what they're saying but with uh your what they're not saying or how they are saying it and listening to uh seeking to understand their hearts uh i i used to say to david all the time uh david had uh a uh, uh, an appointment you know up here at school or something and and I'd say well do you want me to come and he would say honey you get to do whatever you want to do I know that I get it but what was I really fishing for I wanted him to say oh baby I would not even think about going without you please come I want you to come you know what I'm talking about ladies uh, okay do you do you want me to come Yeah, you can do whatever you I know that I can do whatever I want to do. And so now he you know he he uh say, "Oh baby, I want you to come." Oh, yes, honey. And then he does a wink wink, but again the message is you get to do what you need to do. See, and the point is that that I missed her, didn't I? I missed her. And 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 often we communicate you know we we give these messages like that but we miss body language yes. we miss other cues that we give one another yes. that really communicate even much more than what our words communicate yes. and so learning to really see and, and you know what here's here's i think one of the keys to listening is if i don't know how to listen inside of me to me and to the spirit of god in me i'm not going to do a really good job of of really seeing you the less whole i am the less the less you know the more i'm on a healing journey the more i can really see and be sensitive and open and life is not then about me it's really about you and me yes. together yes taking time for your spouse that 
That is so very critical to be able to spend time together. Uh, I was I spent some time with a dear friend this week, and um, and she and her husband are very busy. Just they, they have a very busy, responsible life. And her husband was working out of town, and uh, he called her and said, "Listen, I'm going to come home for dinner, and then I'm going to go back uh, uh, up to uh, Northern Michigan where I am." He was going to drive uh, a couple hours to. Spend have dinner with her and then go back home. As I thought about that exchange, uh, my friend said to him, oh no, you know, I have some other things. I only have a little window here and I'm going to pull out something from the freezer, so don't worry about it. But I just thought, I was really moved by that gesture that this man who is very busy, very responsible, was willing to demonstrate his care and his regard for his wife by making this trip. What a wonderful, caring thing to do. You are important to me, and I will sacrifice my time to be with you. How many of us will do that? David and I have a running joke. He has a chair in the house, and he sits in this chair. And when I really am really wanting some attention, I will say something like, I really hate that chair. I, I, I really hate that chair. And he knows that means I I need your attention, you know. Uh, But again, how can we say to our spouses, you are important to me. Uh, I care for you and I want to spend time with you. On to the next slide, please. And so one of the things that's really important is that we look for positive things in our spouses to affirm. So many of us point fingers at the other person and we point out the negative things. We point out the things they're not doing well. You know, we, we, we tend to focus on the negative things. But one of the things that really builds a marriage is when, when, when you can look at your spouse and say, honey, you know, I just love the way you look. I, I used to tell Beverly every day, every day when we got married, honey, you're so beautiful. I just love you. You know, and I would tell her, you know, all these things to try and affirm and lift her up. And, and that's a really, really good practice. But what happened, honey? Uh, I just received it. I soaked it in. Whatever. Not, not. Uh, I heard those words every day for 15 years and uh, I can tell you where I was and what I had on when it finally sunk in my heart that he really means what he said. He really loves me. And then it forced me to think about the wonderful song, the children's song we sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know that song. The reality is... If I couldn't believe it from this man who saw me every day and was saying those nice things to me every day, how could I believe it from a God who I didn't see and who uh, was saying that to me? How could I hear it and receive it? And it really, really continued. It really uh, uh, jettisoned my healing journey because I wanted not only to hear it from my husband, but I also wanted to be able to hear it from God and knew and know that God means it to me. One of the lyrics of the song, he sang over me before uh, I I even knew, uh, before I was even born. That's really the truth. He did. 
uh, he, he breathed into me. He thought about me. He couldn't think. He couldn't uh, uh, think a thought without bumping into me. And I wasn't even conceived yet. That's really the truth about this reckless love he had for me. And I wanted to experience that. And uh, God used David to really send me on that path to really understand that experience for myself. And then one other thing that is so powerful. Uh, uh, I, uh, I come from a family, David comes from a family, he mentioned of 15, and he's uh, number two of those 15. And uh, David, uh, David was very frugal, and David had uh, tennis shoes and clothes when we first got married that he had for years because they were still good. A 10-year-old shirt, this is a perfectly good shirt. The what? body of the shirt was good. What? The cuffs were frayed, the right. collar was frayed, but the body of the shirt was was good. What is the problem? And so I had a time kind of getting those clothes out of the closet and throwing them away and said, no, those are not good. And on the other hand, my dad, uh, my dad taught me to love good clothes and I love good clothes. And uh, I had no problems buying a, a fourth pair of black shoes or a fourth pair of red shoes. It didn't matter. Uh, I had no problem buying doubles and triples of whatever I thought I wanted and so east meets west when we get married and uh, uh, when I, I came home uh, to care for our son uh, David was at work and when his paycheck hit the bank uh, I was busy going shopping and shopping for uh, buying all the groceries that I thought I wanted and buying my, my fourth or fifth pair of black shoes or buying my child whatever I thought he needed and when David sat down on Friday to, to pay the bills, he would come and say, well, what, where's the money? And I'm like looking at him, what do you mean where's the money? It's gone for a good per cause. I've gotten everything we need. I've got my fifth pair of black shoes. Uh, we have groceries. What is the problem? And he said, there's nothing here. I don't have enough to pay the bills. And that went on for uh, some time. And finally, he came to me and he said, listen, sweetheart, uh, I'm going to let you pay the bills. Um, I, I, I'm going to let you pay the bills because I think you are a wise uh, steward and I'm going to let you pay the bills. And I said, whoo, yes, this is wonderful. And so I paid half the electricity bill. I paid half the gas bill and I paid half the telephone bill and did what I continued on shopping the way I shopped. Except the next month, the month and a half bill came due and I was really struggling. And finally it dawned on me, oh, this is not going to work. All the time David was saying, I know you're going to handle this. I believe in you. You are a wise shopper. And he kept telling me that. He kept telling me that. And, uh, you know, it, it, I kid you not, he spoke into existence what he wanted. He spoke it into existence. And I began, my husband believes I can do this. At first I thought, what a dummy. He's giving me responsibility. <laughs> 
And, and as it turned out, as I'm looking at the bills, I'm seeing how it, what it really takes to make things happen. I now begin to have this sense of responsibility that I want to do the right thing. Uh, I, I still like nice clothes. I just have to wait until they're on sale and not buy them when I first see them. And I began to use all of these, these techniques. And finally, I was balancing the, the, the budget and everything was working out and I was feeling pretty good and all the time David was saying I believe in you I trust you and uh, just in case you couldn't tell this is an ebony and ivory connection here and uh, I'm a pretty loud black woman and David is this soft gentle man and and I can get all riled up and David will turn to me and say I love how gentle and how soft you are honey you're so soft you're so nice. And I said, that's me. That's me. <laughs> but speaking those things into existence and instead of uh, criticizing me, you know, or, you know, really saying, what is your problem? Why are you like this? It was, it was uh, uh, another tact that he took that really spoke those things into existence for me. And so really very important. Yeah, so instead of interpreting everything negatively in the worst light, interpret it in the positive light, yes. okay? Yes. So look for qualities to affirm. Let, let's go on to the next one. So work on yourself. We want to change everybody else to make it good for us. If you change, my life will be better. But no, 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 that doesn't work. I can only change me. My primary job is to work on myself, to grow into the best, healthiest man I can be, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way, develop a positive sense of who I am. And that challenges the spouse then to grow into health as well, rather than demanding that they change to make me, because they can't make me anything. They don't make me feel anything. That's me. That's my responsibility. Uh, a, a funny story. Uh, David has a couple of pair of pants that I really hate. And, uh, and so we've been on this journey of really being able to hold on to who we are, knowing who we are. Uh, I gave away a favorite suit because he didn't like the color. And uh, I have since bought that same color a couple times and proudly strut that color because I like it. And uh, I, it doesn't matter what he thinks. It's okay that he doesn't like it. I like it. But he has a couple pair of pants that I, I just, I hate these pants on him. They're just too big and uh. And, uh, and so he gets his clothes ready the night before and he hangs his clothes out. And when I see him, oh, David, I hate those pants. And he'll turn to me and he'll say, thank you so much for sharing. And, uh, and then he'll get dressed the next morning and put those pants on and go on about his business. Or, you know, if I'm like really, oh, David, are you going to wear those pants? Yeah, I am. And he'll remind me, I got to tend to my piece of dirt and you tend to your piece of dirt. It's really okay. Uh, it really is all right to be who you are and it's okay for me to be who I am. So let, let, let's hear some really good news. Let's go on. Yeah. Let's go on. So let's talk, Revelation 19, 6 to 9. We're going to close by reading this prophetic. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. 
for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for what? The wedding feast of the Lamb. Praise God. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You know, that which was in the beginning in Eden is going to be restored. Yes. Yes. When Jesus comes again, we will have prepared ourselves. We'll be ready. We'll be the bride recognizing our husband's love and responding to that love. Would you want to respond to that love today for yourself? I know I surely do. And we're on a journey of growing every day more and more like Jesus.